Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Hugh and Brandon, and we are continuing our conversations around the teaching topic from Christ Fellowship Cherrydale on Sunday, which we looked at uh, the stories, Luke 5, beginning two stories of the amazing catch of fish, and then the leper who was healed. So we're going to start this morning, guys, with a little word association, all right? So I'm going to say a word, and you're going to give me the first phrase or idea or concept that comes to mind when you hear this word, all right? Great. Got it? Yeah. All right. First word is okra. Delicious. Pickled. Delicious and pickled. Any commentary on either of those? Pickled okra. Last night we went out to dinner and it was part of the salad, so it was the first thing that came to mind. Pickled okra in the salad? In a salad. What? Is that gooey, slimy? What is pickled okra? It's like a pickle. Hmm. Tastes like a pickle. Pickled okra is good, but fried okra is like candy. It's much better. It's amazing. Hmm. All right. Um, Memorial Day. Man, the uh, so mine is dual. One is CrossFit because that's that's what we do. So we do a big workout called Murph in memory of a, a Navy SEAL who died. Um, and then that that memorial, the the memory, doing things that we get to do because other people went before and and died, giving their lives for us to have freedom. Do you ever do the Murph, or do you just tell other people to do it and watch them die? Both and, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to look my way after Brandon's strong Serious answer. answer. Um, Lake Day is what I think of. <laughs> nice, nice. And is that the plan for this year's Memorial Day? As I understand it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, 4.45 a.m. I slept in. <laughs> Still sleeping. Still sleeping in most days. All right, um, so the reason we're playing a little word association is that's the way I started on Sunday was a bit of word association with this idea of gospel-centeredness, gospel-centered. So curious, where do you guys remember in your story like where you first started to hear mm. gospel as a description mm. of virtually everything in the life of the church? Yeah, for me, it would have been... Um, Early 2000s, probably uh, 2003, 2004, just finished up my two-year stint overseas and started to consider seminary and doing some reading. Uh, Internet's still youngish at this point, and so, you know, everybody's got a blog. That was a solid millennial play. Just knew the Internet was new back in my day. You know, I mean, it. It, it, was it was still, I mean, it was. still it was young true. and, uh, and, and man, it just became a punchline after a while, like gospel centered everything. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my perspective. Yeah. Same. I think, I think that's the, the tagline, especially for the, uh, the Baptist circles, right? That's, uh, our deal doing the great commission thing. Everything is gospel oriented, gospel centered. And so not to, let, let's go, let's bend uh, good here for a minute. So what, what, what's trying to be said behind this idea of being gospel centered? What's the, what's the call or what's the challenge? I mean, oh, so, I mean, Jesus really is at the center of everything. If, if creation was made to display and glorify God and he made us as a part of it to partake in that and to enjoy it and to be uh, ever increasingly like the son then it's it's a truth that 
there's all of creation is meant to point us towards God. And uh, anything that you do can be gospel oriented as long as it's not active sin. For me, there there was just, and I don't remember exactly when this category shift clicked in my mind, but there was a time as a young man, as a as a young Christian, that I just thought lowly of the gospel, not antagonistic. I just, the way I was raised up, the church environment I came up in, the gospel is for unbelievers. And then once, once you believe, you've got the gospel, but just put it on a shelf because you really don't need it anymore. And I don't think that any pastor ever said those words, but that was kind of the implicit teaching. And it's, it's what I believed. And so for me, understanding that I need the gospel as much today as I ever did, that was a life-changing horizon to come across. Yeah. I, I think in my experience, it wasn't even so much that, that like gospel for non-believers, but it just wasn't a term that was used in, in our church. And it, it's a lot like, um, kingdom. Like I, I don't hear in certain church right. circles, you just don't hear the, the language of kingdom a lot. You do when you read the gospels, you hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom, but it's just kind of a word that we maybe substitute a synonym uh, for as we're teaching. It seems like in my upbringing, it wasn't again, like the point you were just making. It wasn't that uh, people didn't talk about Jesus. It wasn't that they weren't calling for salvation, but it just wasn't, we weren't talking about the gospel. And then it seemed like kind of a hard turn. And then everyone was, was talking about the gospel using that language and kind of as a junk drawer term, it was like, if, if something isn't described as gospel blank, then it's hard to know what category this fits in. It kind of gave a bucket of association. Well, those people really care about the gospel because that's what they talk about. Yeah. What uh, I, I attempted to, to make a shift with um, gospel centeredness to Jesus centeredness, and Brandon even did this in his description. You you made the the shift to in your uh, in your definition. Well, the gospel mm-hmm. means that everything revolves around Jesus, but I don't know that that's necessarily the most common connection many people make. So, what happens when we um, we lose the person centeredness mm-hmm. of of the gospel? Yeah, I think it beca- it can become kind of an abstraction that if we talk about gospel good news as an idea, it's um, it becomes an academic exercise. It becomes this temptation of if I can memorize and understand all the tenets of this idea and even have a robust apolog- apology for it to be able to defend it, then you lose the heart of it. You lose the, the worship of it. And, and another kind of watershed moment for me, um, hearing and reading guys like Piper say that God is the gospel. And all of a sudden then good news being in a person is another big transforming idea. Yeah. It almost seems like, you know, marriage centeredness versus Sarah. Right. Like there's a there's a shift in, hey, I'm for the category of marriage. I I believe in the goodness of marriage, the worth, the wholeness, whatever, the purity of that. But then 
Like, it's not just the vague concept that I'm for basing my life around, but it's an actual person right, that I've committed to. And I think something good happens when we're able to kind of latch on to a person. But I've had several conversations after Sunday. Maybe this is a place we can camp out a bit on. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which it's far easier to understand Jesus-centeredness when we're thinking first century culture. So Jesus is an actual physical person. Mm-hmm. who shows up, who uh, intersects your life. You can touch him. You can talk to him. You, um, He actually allows you to catch these fish, or he actually heals you. And so when we think about categories like dependence, or particularly the notion of like sacrificial following, I'm going to give up everything and follow him. Well, in the first century, that's very concrete, Right. He's walking around to different places, so I know very clearly what it means to follow him. It means that I stopped doing what I was doing and I follow after him. But it does get a little more abstract for us, uh, you know, many years later to say, what, what, does it, what does it look like for uh, a follower today to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus? We're not leaving boats and nets and all that. So. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you do when you read stories like this. Like how, how does your brain translate uh, first century fishing to Hugh walking with Jesus on Monday morning or Brandon walking with Jesus on Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, one, one abstraction from that just that came to mind as you're describing that, uh, the first century versus the now experiencing Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus said it was better for him to go away, that the spirit would come. Because uh, at the same time that I think we we have this sense that, man, if Jesus was in the room with me, I would totally get it. And I would follow him and I would do everything that he said. <laughs> and it, I'd man. see a miracle. And it's like, yes, obviously, this is the son of God. I should totally do these things. But that's neglecting the stories themselves that said most people didn't get it. Most people rejected Jesus out of hand. A large group of people wanted to kill him as soon as he started telling the, the, the messages of the gospel, the good news that he was here to bring life and to forgive sin and to invite people into the kingdom. They said, there's, there's no way, how dare you call yourself the son of God? So, so we have this sense that we would automatically believe if we could just see Jesus here, but we have the advantage of being in the spirit and having all of scripture laid out before us where we know, even for the people who knew and recognized Jesus as he was. We talked about this last week, like the spirit was at work giving life to their hearts so that they would recognize him as the son of God, as the Messiah, and not as a great teacher or a revolutionary or a danger to our power or whatever the thing is that people kind of apprehended him as. So uh, before we kind of romanticize the idea, I think, of of having been there in the room, uh, most people in the room didn't get it. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Hugh? Yeah, I, I don't know other than just acknowledging that that we don't have physical eyes to see him now, that it is all by faith, that, that what's am- really amazing, and I think something of an apologetic for the faith, is that 2,000 years later, people are, are saying, yeah, I'm following this man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I have sacrificed. I'm willing to sacrifice. I am 
dependent, growing in dependency on him. And my eyes have never yeah. fallen on this man. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a testimony to the, to the work of God in us that we would long for that opportunity to hang out and, and see Jesus in person because through the word, through the spirit's work in our hearts, we're like, man, I really would like to be physically in the same place as Jesus and, and see what was it like to be around him and, and how did he make small talk and what were the just kind of day-to-day things that maybe didn't get recorded because they weren't the, the primary things um, that God wanted us to know about Jesus and his mission, um, that it's, it's cool that we want that and would love to see that and that the Spirit's doing that work in us that it would be, it would be awesome to be with God rather than terrifying or silly or whatever other thing that we could kind of substitute in there that the gospel being a stumbling block to those who are unbelievers. Yeah. All right. Let's talk for a minute about dependence. So that was the first idea both the, the fisherman and the leper have this real keen sense of it doesn't happen if it weren't for Jesus. Um, how do you guys cultivate, uh, growing an active dependence, um, particularly on Jesus, um, and asking that in the context of American culture, adult culture, even uh, men who have uh, families and jobs uh, that matter. Um, there are very few areas of our life where dependence is a good thing. But then in the gospel, dependence is the foundation. So how do, how do you make that shift from I don't, I don't want to depend on anybody to I, I really like my existence depends on my awareness of dependence on God. I think for me, it's there's there's really a strong tether between the first point of um, radical awareness of need for Jesus, dependence upon Jesus, and your second point of being awestruck by Jesus. Just thinking about the sermon since uh, Sunday, I I see those as flip sides of the same coin. That if someone is um, maturing in their faith, if someone is um, demonstrating growth and becoming Christ-like, what that necessarily is going to pr- produce is humility dependence and by virtue of being aware of their own sin and um and the the goodness that they have God's mercy forever that it it hits both sides of the coin that I cannot do this on my own I have to have God's mercy and I can't believe how good he is. Like he, he just keeps getting better in my eyes. So for me, like I, I think even the, the, the phrase of a Jesus centered person, you know, maybe a new believer or an immature believer, they would, they would say their focus, their faith is on Jesus, but it's probably not accurate to say that they're yet a Jesus centered disciple. Right. Like, and I don't know where objectively to draw that line, but the closer we get to Jesus, we, there's going to necessarily be the byproduct of absolute dependence on him 
and just being amazed by him. Yeah, I think life in a fallen world does a good job of pushing dependence. I've come to a place in life where I'm, I'm either sharing ultimate responsibility or am in charge of almost everything that I do, whether it's family, work, church, uh, wherever I am. And uh, being, being responsible for so much makes my shortcomings and weaknesses and failings all the more evident. Yep. Um, because you know, there, there's the sense in which you're like, you know, in your head, you can't make everyone happy all the time, but you really want to, like, it, it'd be great if that was possible and, and finding time and time again, Hey, I'm, I'm not enough to do all of these things. And if, if what the Bible says about God is true, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, that he is uh, working in us from the time that we are converted to the time that we are glorified to sanctify us, to make us look more like Jesus, to change us bit by bit, inch by inch, that uh, in the good and in the bad and the challenging, all of that stuff is here for a purpose, then uh, I can either be self-dependent and struggle against that and fight and be... Um, kind of disturbed or proud or whatever the kind of negative emotion that, that tracks along with that. Or I can, I can start saying, you know what, this is for my good somehow. God, what are you doing? I need, I need you to walk me through these things, whether it's through your word, whether it's through relationships with believers who can help me kind of pierce the veil sometimes and see that there's blind spots that I have or, or weaknesses that I have. And so, um, this is, this is a, a, a current spot for me of, I think, sanctification to go, no, it's not can you do all the things in your life. It's what is God doing through you in these things in your life? And uh, how can you depend on him for good result when you can't see the immediate tangible good result of the effort that you're putting in? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. One question that I've gotten uh, in a couple of different forms since Sunday is the question around sacrifice. And uh, it's a place, probably the the uh, hot outdoor service. You want to nuance some ideas a little bit more than maybe we had time to. The last point was, uh, you know, Jesus-centered people are sacrificing all to follow Jesus. So they're giving up everything to follow. How do you know where God is calling you to sacrifice? And particularly, maybe I'll angle it a different way, live in a culture where a lot of prominent voices, let's take uh, Francis Chan, let's take... Um, maybe in a ditch that we don't want to go, but somebody like Shane Claiborne that that kind of write consistent arguments for renounce everything, give it up. Uh, there are people around the world that have never heard, that don't know we have stupid affluence in America, um, access to all, you know, uh, all things. We're carrying on ourselves thousands of dollars every morning. Um, how does that not lend to selfishness, greed, hoarding, uh, is it possible to be an American Christian, and particularly for the young bucks who are listening, how do how do they know um, what they should renounce and give up to follow? And is anything short of total renouncing to go uh, sinful? <laughs> Thanks for the easy question. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So somebody else. I'm just I'm pitching it to you guys because I've gotten it several several yeah. times. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, I I think that if there there are matters of conscience here, and if your conscience cannot settle short of 
giving it up and going, then that, that may be evidence that God is calling you to give up and go, that, that you should be going on mission and, and pursuing opportunities to go to a, a place where um, the gospel hasn't been named uh, to, to be a missionary. Um, I think there is uh, still work and ministry to be done here. I, I kind of I get frustrated a little bit when people say, well, America has the Bible. It's everywhere. You can get it online. So get out of here. What's the point? When, uh, you know, the, the, the scriptures get to people through relationship most of the time and that there are still people here who God cares for, who are not believers, who we can be in relationship with and, uh, connecting and reaching for the sake of the gospel. Um, the, the where do we fall in between? I, I think a practical question is to say, you know, that there's the line, the things that you own end up owning you. And so if there are things that, that you could examine and say, you know, we've been uh, in our core classes teaching and reading through Strangely Bright, which is about kind of this topic. Can you, can you enjoy the things of this world and enjoy God and do so in a way that's complimentary and not comparative or distracting. And so if there are things in your life that when you compare them to God, they're more important, that could be an indicator that just practically speaking, this is something I may need to distance myself from, whether that means giving it away, giving it up, selling it, giving that to the poor, whatever the thing is that kind of allows you to refocus and say, God is actually the priority. This gift has become God, uh, can be a way to, just start on that path of I need to unplug from this thing so that I can give more time and attention to the Lord. I think there's, there's definitely to your frustration. I think there's a, like a lingering grass is greener uh, type idea behind the way this question often gets framed in that. I, th- I think we probably have, uh, a misunderstanding representation of the struggles of the church of the world. Like to, to say, um, man, it's all terrible in the American church, right? It's just a bunch of religious consumers who are selfishly hoarding church attendee outside hypocrisy, so on and so forth. I think, um, there's a common to life reality that, uh, the church is may is is broken wherever you find it, right? And so, um, while there may be some very real struggles in the American church, as soon as you get into another context, you're going to find there are struggles among the people of God in those places as well. Now, you may substitute different types of struggles, maybe certain aspects that come easier in different cultures than they do in the American culture. But I think we're going to be working out our faith in hard places, regardless of, of where we are. So to stay in the American culture is choosing your heart, and we're going to be up against some certain foes there that are challenging. I also like, Brandon, your comment about conscience. I, I, I don't know that I've framed the answer exactly that way, but I have said perhaps the way that I even framed the point, we sacrifice all to follow Jesus. Well, there's a sense in which that's true of all believers, right? We're, we're, we're sacrificing, um, we're staking our ultimate existence on this person, right? So there is a, a sense of sacrifice. Um, but then there's a scalability, it seems, to God, the Spirit's call on individual believers, right? There are certain people that are uh, provoked by the Spirit to, you know, Hudson Taylor it, right? Just to 
renounce everything and go. Um, and there are certain people that are called, uh, called may not be the best term, but that, that are prompted by the spirit and confirmed by the church, even to do that for a season. So there are people that I could look at and say, Hey, this could be a really good step for you, say for the next couple of years, but don't necessarily set yourself up to say, if I ever return to the American church, somehow I'm being sinful. Um, I, but then the broader category, it seems, is like everyone who's Jesus-centered, uh, I think the way I said it in the sermon, like needs to have areas of their life where Jesus is pressing them, things they'd like to do, uh, ways they might spend their money or spend their time that by virtue of their association with Jesus, they're not making those decisions and instead sacrificing to make other other decisions. So I think the, pl- the dish that we would get into with sinful uh, complacency is if I'm not sacrificing anything and or if those sacrifices aren't growing. So the longer I walk with Jesus, the more open-handed, sacrificial I want to become. What do you think about that, Hugh? Would you... Yeah. How would you counsel differently? Yeah, no, 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 I don't think I would say anything differently. I so rewinding the clock a few minutes, the the last question you asked was, is it sinful if we fall short of sacrificing everything? And and I think the the clear answer there is is no. And you'll you'll hear hear people, you know, citing passages like Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler and you know, there Jesus has the distinct advantage of seeing the the man's heart, knowing that money is his functional God. And, and so that's a more of a description than prescription. I think it, there's a matter of perspective. So for someone that is, that is a Jesus centered follower, that's growing in dependence, then they necessarily have um, not just a dependence upon Jesus for salvation, but for all of life. So any, any stuff that they have, they're going to be open handed with that stuff. And for them, for the, for them to say, I'm, it's a joy for me to cash in this, this CD and give it to somebody to, to go overseas. It's a joy for me to forego on this thing so that ministry can advance in this other way. So for them, it doesn't necessarily even feel like a sacrifice. I think the dangerous thing for the American church is to, to bind the conscience of others. If I were to say to you guys, if you're not sacrificing, you know, and I give some objective standard, this amount of money, this much time, whatever, then are you guys even Christians? Like, are you, are you really even following the Lord? Whereas that, that's not our role. Like we, we don't, we're not Jesus. We can't see the heart. And I think the really, the beautiful thing about being in the local church is that these, these examples are infectious. When we see our brothers and sisters and often not even folks that have great means that, they're, they're joyfully open-handed with all their stuff, then that's like a mirror for me to look at myself and go, wow, I, I can do, I can do this. Hmm. I can do more in this area. And again, it, it doesn't feel burdensome. It, it feels an act of worship and, and joyful. 
Yeah, practically speaking, like thinking thinking about the Old Testament, thinking about the New Testament church, the communal nature of things meant people had to have things to begin with if they were going to give finery to the building of the temple or to the tabernacle, if they were going to sell their properties and have those things in common to care for other believers who are in need. So I, I think that there's there's some amount of... Um, kind of watching those things and saying, Hey, if I'm, if I'm clearly aware of needs, especially in my local body, because that's our, our kind of first area of ministry as believers is in, in our local church that I'm going, I could do something about that, but I would rather go do X, Y, or Z other thing. That's not, uh, not a sacrificial gift that that might be a, a red light or a red flag, something to go, okay, I need to, I need to just check my heart. So it's not that you have to give all that you have and, and be destitute to be a believer because if all believers were destitute, now we know God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has the resources to do that. But it seems like throughout the history of, of his people, he's chosen to use his people and the good gifts he's given them as one major arm of financing the mission of God. Um, whether it's, just starting out and we're going to build the tabernacle and now there's a place for God to be with us. That's a community effort. Everybody gave everybody, uh, their time, talent, resource. Uh, if it's the church in acts and there are people who are struggling and people gave, if it's Paul on his missionary journeys and there were churches who were able to take up collections to support his work. Um, so that, that is, a I think another place that you can kind of check in. It's like, am I aware of needs? If I'm totally unaware of needs, am I connected to the body? So there's going to be needs. So I need to be connected in such a way that I can become aware and serve and help people. And if I am aware of needs, but not moved to do anything about them, that would be a, a check engine light. And, uh, something that's really fascinating to me is how God, his, his, his economy is just different, seeing the heart and not the out, out, outward appearance of the man. And so um, he's way more pleased with the widow's mites rather than the, the rich man's excess. And so the temptation for us is to say, well, I, I can't give to that level. I can't go to that extent. So what does it even matter? And we can kind of talk ourselves out of doing anything, kind of put ourselves on the bench when that's just not the case. It's not reality. Mm-hmm. Or the other temptation, I think, is to, to, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down how I'm doing by how much I am sacrificing. So some, mm-hmm. somehow my sanctification gets graded. Uh, on the basis of, well, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm selling everything, renouncing it all. And you could be as me centered in that type of decision, um, as you could be me centered in the American chair. I mean, the, the drive to, you know, explore, um, you know, uh, build something, uh, that, that can all be kind of wrapped up in you and your personality and your gifting. And I'm going to do something great for God. Uh, in the very same way that you could be selfish and secure in the American church. I think one of the benefits that I heard many of both of you guys speak to in different ways was how the local church kind of normalizes this and uh, gives us a context to know what does sacrifice need to look like uh, for me. I think it's a danger with uh, very public, prominent voices. Um, And I don't even think for most of them it's their intended drive behind the things that they write or speak. Like, I think it's coming from a really good place, but we hear it kind of disconnected from human relationships and from the local church. And so Francis Chan's call to challenge the American church and people to renounce all, to 
get the gospel to the nations. That sounds a good signal in us, and it's something that's good and right and, and um, maybe helps expose some of the things that we feel um, we're complacent on. But if we don't, if we don't have the local church to normalize that, um, that experience, to give us a context of who I'm being generous to, uh, some people that know me and know, hey, is is renouncing everything going to the bush? Is that a good decision for me to make? Mm. Uh, this am I mature enough to handle that? Like we we need the refinement that comes from not just me in a book at 10 p.m. saying, oh yeah, like this is what I'm going to do, but really having the context of the church to help refine that. Um, one last question for you guys: um, the the conversation about fishing for men. So this is uh, Jesus kind of go to. What does it mean to follow me? You're going to be a person that fishes for people. I really like the call in Luke 5 where it's not even so much a uh, you're going that I want you to do this, but no, you're going to. Like this is what you're going to do. Association with me means that you're going to fish for people. That's kind of a weird phrase, right? I mean, it's one of those kind of, again, first century, we're talking to fishermen, the kind of uh connection to okay take what you were doing to fish and now direct that to people perhaps makes a little more sense to these uh early first century fishermen than it does to us but what does it look like for you to join jesus on his mission to fish for people um kind of now american church grown men with responsibility how do you kind of wake up on monday with a uh, i'm fishing for people type job description I mean, I, th- I think it, it is a, a Monday morning decision and a Tuesday afternoon decision um, that the fish are not going to just jump <laughs> into your hand, in, into the net, right? Like you, you have to, if we're going to go with the analogy, you have to get the fishing rod, you have to get the net, you have to have some bait, there, there is intentionality. There are steps to take. There is um, genuine effort and then trusting the Lord, right? That um, going, going through this, this part of our lives on autopilot isn't going to take you to a, a good place. Yeah, I think the uh, fisherman is engaged in sales all the time. So he is trying to find something that will appeal to the fish in a way. Uh, and so I, I think a, you know, the, the metaphor breaks a little bit because fish don't live with the fishermen or, you know, go to school with the fishermen or so on. But the, the idea of, of living a life that is uh, winsome and attractive and stable especially in the, the midst of all of the, the chaos of current life, which, I mean, I think if people were doing podcasts in 1200 BC, they'd be saying the same thing. You know, it's like the light, life is crazy. You know, we got to trust God and live his way if we're going to be different and a light to the nations. Um, and so I, I think having uh, stability, having um, our eyes set on God and knowing that he is ultimate king and organizing all things like sets us apart in a a world where things feel so uh, bumpy and, and changing all the time. Uh, And so living, living in a way that people want to know what's different about you so that we don't look completely identical. It's not all hand wringing or fist shaking uh, that our, our internet profiles are places of peace and joy and 
uh, kindness, not places of outrage and um, smashing people. Because if you, out of one side of your mouth, are crushing and then out of the other, you're like, but here, let me extend peace to you. Like that's, that's a, a hard sell if, uh, like salt water and fresh water. Right? Yeah. Right. They don't mix. Right. You, you get this brackish bleh, that nobody wants when you, when you have that. So I, I think that, you know, the fisherman is preparing and we can, we can take that same tack of, well, a fisherman's going to choose where he's going to fish. So I can take that tack and say, I, well, I'm going to go to work today that's my pond. That's my river. I'm, I'm going to go and, and fish this spot. And the fisherman knows when he goes to fish for these fish that he needs a particular way to attract those fish. If he's fishing for trout or bass, or he's casting a net for minnows, you know, it's a, it's a different experience, uh, and, and preparation. So if I'm going to work and I know Bob and, uh, I know Bob's not a believer, there's a different way that I might interact with Bob than that I might interact with, the person who I meet in a village in India, if I were going on a short-term mission trip, that, that I might cast the net when I go to this village in India. I'm going to put the gospel out to everyone and hope that God would, would put fish in the net and give us an opportunity to, to go further. But with Bob, there might be a particular bait. I know that Bob's struggling with finances or he's struggling with his relationship to his wife or he's struggling with parenting his kids. And there's hope in the gospel for all of those things. And so I can, I can kind of bait the hook by getting into that conversation with things that I know are pressing on him rather than broad shotgun approach and, and firing from there. So being, being prepared, thinking ahead, um, and then, you know, the fishermen, these guys at the end of the day in, in Luke 5 were mending their nets. They were preparing for the next go-round. So maybe they, they went out that day and they got skunked and they didn't say, well, that's that. Never fishing again. They were going home to prepare to go fishing again tomorrow because that's what they did. And that's that's who they were. So um, being a fisher of men, I think you get skunked and you go, OK, well, tomorrow, new day, we're going to go fishing again. Yeah, it seems seems to me to be so- something of a posture of other centeredness is implied here that I don't know that the parallels exact, but thinking Jesus, others, me as my kind of default orientation that I'm getting out of bed with a uh, trying to deflect as much energy and attention away from myself and and onto other people, onto their needs, onto their burdens. So I don't do this exceptionally well, but it, it's an attempt at least of, hey, let's start the day, time with the Lord. Um, and then, hey, who are who are two people in the morning that I can shoot a text message to, that I can make a phone call to on the way into work, that I can send an email that's just a note of thanks, that's a note of encouragement, that's a note of, I know you're going through this today um, and you are on my mind. Some, something about days when I do that, it gives a placeholder at the beginning of the day for Jesus and others that orients my, tra- is attempting to slowly train my heart away from myself and my own needs and get them kind of eyes up looking for others, their concerns. And, you know, Brandon, your point, I think, was directed primarily to non-believers. And and I think that's the right and good place to go. But I think it's also helpful just to say, hey, if I can train myself to not think about myself generally and to have attentiveness to the needs of others, that's going to be a skill set that I can place in the believer bucket or the non-believer bucket. I think in some ways we overthink the, the evangelism 
uh, piece. And no doubt there's the awkwardness and there's challenges with how to articulate the, the good news of Jesus. But at its essence, I think evangelism is just knowing how to care for people and be decent at conversation and ask good questions and find ways to serve. Like it's not really that difficult a work at the end of the day. It's just, can I be a friend to people? And so again, if I'm training myself in those skills, even if it's directed to believers that are predisposed to receive them in the way that I intend them, it's going to have a spillover effect to the non-believer that I meet or that I'm in some sense of relationship with that I can continue to cultivate that through the day. Well, I think um, helpful for us to consider, you know, just in real simple terms, the way, as James says, the word kind of mirrors itself to us. And um, while we don't want to overread the characters in the Bible as the hero, I mean, certainly the heroes aren't these fishermen or aren't the leper. Um, but I do think it, it in James-like fashion, holds a good mirror up to us to see and say, am I like that? Just on a real simple, simple basis, is my heart postured to that? And I don't know when you're listening to the podcast, but um, wherever it is, like, um, odds are it's not a place that you would naturally be in like spiritual mode. And so you're kind of listening to this um, at a time away from a Sunday morning teaching venue where maybe you're kind of predisposed to be thinking Jesus-centered, which allows this moment even to be a good mirror moment. Like, has today been marked by hmm. this hyper-awareness of dependence, this awe-struckness of the glory of Christ, this um, commitment to his mission, um, and a, a re- real life of sacrificial generosity. And I think the street cred of our Jesus-centeredness kind of finds its way on Tuesday afternoons at 2 o'clock. Like, am I living, am I living that way? So um, pray that uh, the conversation has been an encouragement uh, to you today, and we'll see you next week.